When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. What a day. Everything in the NBA changed in one night. Plus, baseball needs to figure out where home plate actually is. And one guy has been at his job longer than I've been doing this. I need details. Showtime. Let's go. Here we go. Only one place to start. I pretty much just was taking what the defense was giving me. Um, you know, they were sagging off. Um, you know, I got my three ball going a little early. And you know, it gave me a lot of confidence, you know, just shoot the basketball. The spirit that he plays with, it's infectious. Um, you know, I've said it since day one for moments like this. You know, It is official. I love John Morant. I don't like John Morant. I have deep feelings for John Morant. Uh, he has become, without competition, my favorite player in the NBA, not just because he is spectacular to watch, which he obviously is. He has a 2022 game, but that kid's got an 80s mentality, man. He, he has got a toughness. He is walking out there. He is staring Steph Curry eye to eye, both literally and figuratively, and saying, yeah, you may be one of the greatest players that ever lived. I'm not the least bit intimidated. He puts up 47 last night. Just a spectacular show. The NBA is awesome, and I am extremely grateful to Tim Legler and J.J. Reddick. Good enough to hang out after get up here and give us the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Legs, I'll start with you. I, I consider myself uh, something of a wordsmith. I do not have adjectives to describe what we see or are seeing. It's not just last night, but night after night right now from this kid. Uh, he's relentless. I think that's my favorite word for him. He never stops coming at you. Uh, he, he's had a funny quote to me when he said, I was, took what they were giving me. I'm like, well, actually, took some things they weren't giving you, too. You know what I mean? Like, you made it seem like a thief if you left the front door wide open. No, he kind of broke some windows to get in there last night, too, because they actually did what they wanted to accomplish, which was give him some space, give him the three if he wants to take that, load up in the lane with, with a lot of active defenders. The problem is he's so comfortable that when he goes to take off and release it, it's not really going to be contested because of his athletic ability. Um, you know, he, he converted everything he had to down a stretch of his game. He misses any of those finishes. They probably lose the game. That's how important each of those drives was. He was spectacular last night. And I know Golden State's got to be sitting there watching the film thinking the same thing. What are we supposed to do to affect this guy in the lane? 47 points, 15 of 31, J.J. from the floor, taking it to the hole strong, making the move, stepping back and taking the three when he needs to. He's He's got the entire package. I don't think we should be surprised by this playoff performance. We saw some amazing games and amazing moments like the game winner in game five in the first round. This game, of course, he was really great last year in the playoffs mm-hmm. against Utah had a big series set the franchise record for most points in a game and then he made this huge jump this year and became a superstar and so to me this is like this is who John ja Moran is he is a singular vehicle that you can hop on and he can lead you to a victory uh if I'm the Warriors to, to Leg's point like if I'm the Warriors I'm figuring out a way how do we get this guy to his right hand and keep this guy 
to his right hand because time and time again, he figures out a way to get back to that left. He's comfortable. He's more comfortable driving left. He's more comfortable shooting his floater going left, and he's more comfortable finishing left. And can that be done? And I will throw into the conversation Gary Payton, Payton II, whose father was called the glove, and the son himself is also a terrific defender, um, is now done for the series. I mean, the, the dirty play, we're going to get to it in a minute here, from Dylan Brooks. It, clearly, they're not going to have him. So putting that into the mix, what is the defensive strategy going forward in this series' legs? And by the way, I never understood why GP to second's nickname wasn't the mitten. I thought it was a perfect— I said that on Sunday. I mean, I, I just, we, no, no one, one calls him that. But look, I didn't get a laugh. I tried that at home. I have people I in the house watching the games. I use that line, no one laughs. Perfect, but unfortunately, tragic what happened to him. And, and J.J. and I were talking about this before. You feel for guys that take that route fight that hard to establish themselves. I kind of did that at the beginning of my career. You fight so hard to get there, and then you finally get to a place and you're playing well. You knew you could do it all along, and you're comfortable, and then something like this happens. Um, and look, here's, here's what they lose. Number one, he's clearly the most equipped to keep John Morant in front of him, at least you know, legitimately well at the beginning of the point of attack. He also can get off the floor at the end of the play contest. He's probably got one of the best sets of hands I've seen defensively in the league with strips and rakes and everything else. So you lose that, um, and you do it on a play like that, that however you want to slice it up, it's a dangerous play at minimum, and it's going to cost Gary Payton the second the rest of the season most likely. We haven't heard definitively, but I, I don't know. doesn't sound good. Don't, I don't think we're going to see him, and that's a major problem for Steve Kerr now going forward with his rotation. It's a fractured elbow. Agrini presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, RV, and more. In short, a lot of things. Bundled today at Progressive.com. Let's hear from Steve Kerr. He didn't like that play. I don't know if it was intentional, but it, it, it was dirty. And, um, <clears throat> you know... Playoff basketball is going to—it's supposed to be physical, but there's a code in this league. There's a code that players follow, um, where you, you never put a guy's season slash career in jeopardy by taking somebody out in midair and clubbing him across the head and ultimately fracturing Gary's elbow. He broke the code. Dylan Brooks broke the code. That's two big things. For the coach to say, and again, Steve has been around the league forever. He played with Dennis Rodman, so he knows what dirty and breaking the code look like. And I, I mean, I was there covering a lot of those games. Do you agree with that, JJ? Was was that a dirty play, and did it violate a code? Well, there's there's a difference between committing a dirty play and being a dirty player. So mm-hmm. I, I want to be clear: I'm not calling Dylan Brooks a dirty player, but that was a dirty play, and and there's a difference too between Draymond's flagrant two in Game One. That was a vertical jump. This was more of a horizontal jump. When you get suspended in the air and you've got all that momentum, you're in such a vulnerable place as a basketball player. We saw it earlier this year with with Grayson Allen and Alex Caruso. That follow through that Caruso had when Grayson fell, or uh, that Grayson had when Alex fell and broke his wrist. So it's just this place of vulnerability. And as a player, you have to understand that. And the problem is. No layup rule. That's stress so much in the playoffs, either by players, coaches, whatever. You talk about it before every game. No layups, no layups, no layups. And to me, when you look at Dylan Brooks and the, and the sort of act, there's this sense of desperation to prevent that layup. And unfortunately, Peyton was in that vulnerable position. I, I think you make a really good point. We're not calling him a dirty player. We're not suggesting he should be thrown at. Not, 
But that's a, it's a reckless play at minimum, and unfortunately, the result of it is significant. So that's one of the games last night. The other one fascinated me, and I will be honest with you, Legs, stunned me. And this just goes to show you, the, I am the ultimate prisoner of the moment. I mean, I have to admit it. I am such a professional overreactor because I watch game one of that series and I'm thinking, oh, the Bucks have every answer. They have that middle packed up. Boston can't do anything offensively. Tatum just wants to ISO. Brown just wants to ISO. They won't be able to move the ball because I told the Nets they needed to move the ball and they couldn't do it. Giannis is, it has the answer to the Celtics' really good defense. This is going to be a short series. And then when I find out Marcus Smart isn't going to play, I'm thinking, oh, we're done here. Uh, bring the brooms. This thing is over. And then it's 65-40 Boston at halftime. Uh, Giannis has five and Jalen Brown has 25. So, Legs, what the actual heck happened? Well, I'm not surprised, first of all, that Boston responded this way. And, and here's why. Very rarely do I hear a young coach speak right from the beginning of his coaching career the way I would listen to Ime Yudoka. And I said, man, this guy is sharp. Now, I've been, never been around him. JJ, you might know him and, and been around him at some point yeah. in your career and being in the league as long as you were while he was around. Um, so I had faith that they'd make an adjustment. I didn't think it would be that extreme. What they did offensively last night was night and day from game one. It was quickly make decisions, get it to the next open jersey. Rather than shoot that shot against the closeout defender getting in the air, how about we get them off the ground and then let them fly by, take it back into the gut of the defense, draw another guy, kick. That guy now pass up a decent shot to do the same thing, and eventually you end up with three-point shots with guys shoulder square on balance, and at the end of the possession, you're finishing off great ball movement with a great look, not something desperate with three seconds left and not taking a three-pointer five seconds into the clock with a hand in your face the way they did in game one. So the adjustment was extreme, and man, did they ring the bell and respond to what happened to them in the first game. And I give Jalen Brown so much credit because it's one thing to play poorly and call yourself out. It's a whole nother thing to then show up and be the best player on the floor against a team as good as Milwaukee. Jalen Brown did that. And I, I just said a lot to me about you know, what level player he is and how tough he is mentally. How about the defense, J.J.? Because um, the Celtics hang their hat on that first and foremost. And I thought you made a really interesting point. We, we sit here saying, well, Giannis is going to get off. He had a tough night in game one. He only had five points at halftime of game two. We sit here saying, well, Giannis at some point will get his. Maybe not that easy. <laughs> Maybe it's not that easy because we, we talked about that for four games in round one with Kevin Durant. Boston has such a luxury. We, we talked about this earlier. Boston has such a luxury that the defensive player of the year can sit out, and yet you can still trot out multiple two-way players, big two-way players like Al Horford, Grant Williams, of course, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. And so maybe maybe it's more the Boston defense than it is Giannis or Kevin Durant's struggles because they can do both. They can put a great individual defender on you and game plan for you with multiple great help defenders. There's not many teams that are built that way. I, I gave my coach of the year vote this year legs to Taylor Jenkins for what he did in Memphis, and I based that largely on the fact that they remained an elite team when John Morant wasn't playing. I, I figured the coach has got to get credit for that. Ime Odoka is making me regret that now because not only game to game is he unbelievable, but I'm old enough to remember when in November – 
We did NBA Countdown from the floor in Boston. They were under 500, and our t- primary topic of conversation was, do they need to break up Tatum and Brown? Have, have we now got to the point where we realize this combination just isn't going to work? They need to start it over, trade Jalen Brown, get what they can for him, build around Tatum, start something new in Boston. It's clearly not going to work. And here we are, whatever this is, six months later, and they look as good as anybody. That that. The coach has to get a lot of credit for that to Absolutely me. does, and there's a great list of young coaches in this league that are really promising. First of all, look, if you're Taylor Jenkins and you lose your only legitimate star player and you go 20-2, and two, they might rename the Coaches of the Year award <laughs> after Taylor Jenkins. Right, right. So, so it really, to me, it couldn't go anywhere else. And, we, and we've got great candidates. J.B. Bickerstaff, who was in here earlier, would be a candidate. He should get votes as well. Uh, Ime Udoka, right off the bat early in the year, my biggest question was after the Brad Steven eras, Stevens era was, what are you going to do to make the game easier for Tatum and Brown? Because they felt like guys that typically were going to pencil in, you know, 50 points on 45 shots. That's what they were going to do. Uh, didn't do it efficiently a lot of nights. Didn't get to the line a ton. Well, you can see what they do. They move the ball better. They actually do great uh, J.J. pre action before Tatum or Brown's going to get the ball first, start him off the ball, get him off screens, catch it with a moving defender at them. They didn't do a lot of that prior to Ime Udoka. So yes, no question. He deserves a lot of credit for that. And defensive game preparation, that's coaching more than anything else, preparing your guys for the next opponent. In their last 38 games, the Celtics are 31 and seven Mm. and they have more 25 point wins than they have losses in that span. So straight talk, JJ brought to you by straight talk wireless. Who has the edge now? And now that we've seen two, I don't know who you picked before the series started, but having seen two games right now, what does your gut tell you about where that one's going? It feels like the Celtics are in the driver's seat. And, and what I think this is, game two specifically, is a testament to is the Bucks are really missing Chris Milton. Yeah. They're missing his shot creation. They're missing his size on defense. And they're, they're, at some point, we're going to have a close game down the stretch, and that is the closing play. The 3-5 dribble handoff, pick-and-roll action between him and Giannis. Um, yeah, the Celtics are in the driver's seat. I don't, I don't actually remember who I picked prior to this series, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but I did, I did say prior to this series, it feels like whoever wins this series will represent the Eastern Conference in the finals. Oh, uh, so yeah. ahead of Miami and Philly and Moda. Yeah, yeah. Very quickly, Legs, you and I had the same pick. We both took Bucks in six. Do you still feel that way? I do, and I completely agree with him, too, going into both series. I thought whoever wins this one will end up in the NBA Finals. And, and like this, this looks like it could have – it's got six or seven written all over yeah. it. And, look, if it goes seven, that's Boston. You play a regular season for a reason. They will get that game on their home court. We know statistically what that means for the home team. Pretty good chance if they can get it to a seventh game, they win. Fascinating because they – there were a lot of us who thought that maybe they were trying to manipulate that so they didn't get the Nets in the first round and instead got the, the, um, the Bulls, and it worked out in that regard fine. They won that series in five. Boston, meanwhile, gets the sweep, and they wind up with home court advantage as the two instead of the three when that all happened that last weekend. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. I could do this all day. Guys, thank you both so much for sticking around. J.J. Reddick, Tim Legler, awesome. As we continue, sneaky big quarterback news and a green light on the best team in all of sports right now. That's next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. 
Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. I'm going to do something that was not planned here because our conversation a moment ago kind of took me to something that I was planning to do later. But I think I want to go there immediately, and that's going to be a question of the day. You ask these questions. Greeny's question of the day. We were talking about John Morant, and as we were talking about how good he is, Nuno put a really good question of the day in the Google Doc today, and I just feel like staying on it for a minute here. Nuno, you asked the question, how good is Zion going to have to be in order to justify having been the first pick in that draft? And I'm going to adapt it to say the following. One of the most famous draft blunders of all time is Greg Oden being drafted one the year Kevin Durant was drafted two. Sam Bowie ahead of Jordan is another one. But what Bowie and Oden have in common is not that they weren't terrific players. They both would have been terrific players. I'm old enough to remember Sam Bowie at Kentucky, and certainly most people listening to us are old enough to remember Oden at Ohio State. They were true centers, and they would have been good players, maybe great players. They never got a chance to be because of injuries. I think Zion would be a great player, but right now I wouldn't bet he's ever going to be. So I'm going to adapt the question, and Nuno, ask it back to you. Are we going to look at this draft, Morant 2, Zion 1, the way we look at Odin and Durant? I I don't want – I hate saying this, but I think we were uh, or we are. Um, you know, because I was doing this exercise this morning after I posed the question. I went through the last – since the draft lottery and just was looking at guys that were picked um, – and trying to say, hey, if Zion has this type of career, you know, let's say Zion is a seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA player. What is going to, like, what are people going to think? Um, but that career is LaMarcus Aldridge. But if Zion's LaMarcus Aldridge, are, how are people going to feel about him? Like, you're going to feel like you've been cheated out of greatness. How long is John Morant going to be able to do what he's doing at his height, his weight, and his reckless style of play. If you promised me right now that John Morant was, I don't even like saying this out loud, was not going to wind up the next Eric Rose, but was instead going to wind up the next Allen Iverson, just that rare, small guy, pound-for-pound toughness, who winds up having a full and generally injury-free career, I would tell you right now Morant is going to be better than any of them. That's how good I think he is. Do me a favor, Hembo. Uh Uh-huh. Look up the first picks in the draft. Let's go back. I don't know. Let's go back to 2000. Okay. And let's see how often they took the right guy first, which is to say that basketball, it should be easier than any other sport. I can't speak to baseball the way they evaluate prospects. So much of baseball, particularly with pitchers, is done with a radar gun, right? Like yeah. he's throwing harder than mm-hmm. he is. Those things are, are more measurable. Football, there's so many other things. A basketball player, if he's great, he should be great. It should translate and all that. We should get it. So while you're looking that up, Bubba, would you guess that the hit rate, and by this, I don't mean them not turning out to be good players, but that the best player from each draft 
it's going to be above or below 50% going back to 2000 that the right player went number one in that draft. But before we look at it, would you guess it's going to be higher or lower than 50% that they took the right guy? From 2000, you say? I'm just picking a random place to start at. That's the part of this you're fixating on is, is what year I chose to start. Pick a year. I don't care what year we start. Yeah. I don't want to go back to the beginning of the lottery because that's 85 and that's just a long way to go. And I don't right. want to sit here and go through every first round pick in the last 40 years. So who, who, is it going to be above or below 50% do you think? I'm going to say above. I mean, you'd think it should be, right? I mean, it, it should be that easy to spot. The, the best player. Basketball is the sport where that's theoretically the easiest to do. Have you got him there? Yes. Yeah, so let's, is, is it too early to evaluate 2020 and Anthony Edwards being the first pick? Would you, would you say that was the right pick instead of LaMelo Ball? Boy, that's close. I really like Anthony Edwards and I really like LaMelo Ball. Let's say it's too early to say. Fair enough. Okay, 2019, Zion Williamson, we all agree, I think. Definitely Ja, right? Okay. Are, are we all on team Ja there? If, if you were redoing that draft, oh would you take Ja goodness. number one? Even even with the flashes of greatness we've seen from Zion, would you still take Ja one? Ja one for sure, one hundred percent. Nuno, Ja or Zion uh, one? Ja, Baba, Ja. Okay, so they clearly got that one wrong, no matter what. All Go. right. In twenty eighteen, the first pick was DeAndre Ayton. Does anyone not think that Luca would be the first pick if we? Yeah, and then Trey Young would be next, probably so. Now Ayton is really good, and, and he's a, a and and you know they tend to take the seven footer. Mm-hmm. And Aiton is a very good player, and they almost won a championship with him in this last year, and they might again. But clearly, Nuno, it's not even worth talking about, right? Luca would be the first pick in that draft. Yeah, and, and twice on Sunday. And twice on Sunday. All go right, ahead. 2017, the first pick was Markel Fultz. Jason oh Tatum Jason would Tatum, obviously be the first There's pick. No, There's zero chance. Is someone keeping track of this? So what, 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 what is our – we've gotten one right so far and two wrong? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yeah, that's right. One uh, right and two wrong. Go uh, ahead. The 2016 draft – Ben Simmons was the first pick. No, Brandon Ingram. I would take Ingram over him in the blink of an eye. I don't even know who came later. I would take Ingram <laughs> over him right away. So uh, right away, they didn't take the right guy. Okay, fair Agree enough. Agree with that? Based yes. on what we know now and the trajectory, for sure. Okay, that's one right and three wrong. That's right. So 2015, the first pick was Carl Anthony Towns, and it appears they got that right unless you think they should have taken Devin Booker. Who would you take between the two of them? I would take Booker. You take Booker over Towns. Right now, if I'm starting a team, I would take Booker over Towns. How about you? Uh, Nuno? Yeah. I think you're taking Booker. Booker? What do you think? I think he's right. I think you're right. Booker or Carl Anthony Towns? I think Booker. I mean, it's it's tough to count that as a wrong, though, but... Right. It's not a bad miss. You're right. You're right. That's not a bad miss. Go Mm -hmm. ahead. All right. Andrew Wiggins was the first pick in 2014. That was a draft that included Jokic and Embiid. Oh, so clearly, it, 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 there's no way in the world he's the best player of that group. No, hit, not even close. The hit rate is pretty low. 2013. What, what number did Jokic go? He was a second-round pick, wasn't he? Oh, I don't remember. I, I have no recollection of where he came Jokic from. Jokic was the 41st pick in the yeah, draft. He was an international player, though. He didn't play American college, right? He so did not. He, he's one of the many players that came over, and you count on you know the Schmitzes of the world to tell you who yeah, they are. That's exactly right. And then the next thing you know, he's the best player in the whole league. So the hit rate's pretty low here. 2013 go is going to be a miss, too, because it was Anthony Bennett, the first pick from the Cavaliers, the best player in that draft. Giannis, who was the 15th pick. Oh, so that's an easy one. Okay. All right, so 2012 we can go. 2012 was Anthony Davis was the first pick. Now it would be between Davis and Damian Lillard, who was the sixth pick. Who would you take between the two of them? Who's had the better career, Anthony Davis or Damian Lillard? I'm going to go hmm. – I, I, Davis has won a championship, obviously, and Lillard has not. I think I'd rather have Lillard. 
I think I would rather have Lillard as of today, but who, would you say that he has accomplished more or has yes. done to date? You think Demi Lillard has, has the better career to date? Okay, I think so. Okay, How, I, I, he's been closer to being the MVP of the league. Mm-hmm. He's played a lot more. Obviously, he has. Yes, he's healthy and he hasn't won, and he's not. He hasn't been in the like he came to the Lakers and won with LeBron. I mean that that just that, right. I, you know in a bubble after getting all of that extra rest before the playoffs. And Damian right? Lillard took Portland to the conference finals Correct. not I that mean, long ago. It, it, what, what, no, no, which one? No, uh, is it Davis or is it uh, Lillard? I think it has to be, based upon their talent and what expectation, you would take Lillard. I think so, too. All right, the 2011 draft is fascinating because Kyrie Irving was the first pick, but that draft also included Kawhi Leonard at 15 and Jimmy Butler at 30. Amongst those three players... Who would you say should have been the first pick in the draft? I mean, the easy answer is Kawhi Leonard based upon his greatness when available. The problem <laughs> is availability for him is a major question mark. Mm-hmm. Underline that with Kyrie as well. I'm putting Kyrie third. I, I would take Jimmy Butler just because I'm, I'm, I'm predisposed to put Kyrie third. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting, I'm putting, I would put him third no matter who else were the other two people. I'm going to go Jimmy Butler. I'm going to go Kawhi Leonard, then Jimmy Butler. Nuno, what do you think? I'm going to go Kawhi, then Kyrie, and then Jimmy. You would rather have Kyrie on your team than Jimmy Butler? <sighs> Basketball-wise, I think so. Bubba, who would you rather have on your team, Kawhi Leonard or Jimmy, or, um, excuse me, Kyrie Irving or Jimmy Butler? Give me Kyrie. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So we'll say they got that one right. 2010, the first pick was Let's John. Just, we'll finish it with this, 2010. Yeah, it's so longer last, than I expected. No problem. The 2010, uh, John Wall was the first pick. No. That's a draft that included Paul George, but was otherwise Better. pretty weak. Okay. Gordon Hayward, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, Not a great draft, but definitely Paul George. Paul George over John Wall. Obviously ahead of John Wall. So they don't always get it right. And in this case, this, is, this was a very long-winded way of saying... I think we're going to look back on this as the year a team passed on John Morant. There's going to be a team that passed on when people have forgot. I hate to say it, but when people have forgotten all of the, the, the extraordinary stuff that we saw from Zion at Duke, because that's going to feel like a, it already feels like a very, do you remember when Zion Williamson, hold on, everyone gather around. I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened when I was a kid. Zion Williamson once burst out of a shoe in a college basketball game. <laughs> When did that happen? 1974? Like, I feel like the video footage of it should be grainy. How long? That Was that three years ago? Wasn't Obama at that game? Was it, was <laughs> he the, was. I think so. Yes, Obama was at that game, and Maria Taylor was on the, on the sideline interviewing him. <laughs> that feels like a hundred years ago, doesn't it? I guess everything that happened pre-COVID feels longer ago than it is. When did that actually happen? What year was that draft? That was the, that was the 2019 draft. The 19 draft. So that happened in February of 2019. That's three years and change ago. Let's be fair, though, to... I was a much younger man when that happened. Let's be fair, though, to New Orleans, because this was a conversation at the time. Even knowing what we knew then, do you still feel like they made the right decision with Zion? Because it, even then, it was like, can he stay healthy? Because no one's ever been built like this. You but, couldn't pass on Zion. No, you couldn't. That was the Zion draft. But you know what? Because the fans would have revolted. Right. The fans. I remember the first time I ever saw Malika Andrews in my life. We had her in New Orleans when, you know, for that draft Uh. and everything else. And she was down there. She did a live shot on Get Up With Us, like eating beignets. And 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 I I remember even then saying this. She's got something special. And there's a very young. I think she was like 22 years old at the time. I remember thinking, boy, we have found someone really good here. But that said. The we don't usually have a reporter 
in the city where they're going to take the first pick. And we did because that was going to be the single biggest, that was going to be the move of a lifetime. Selecting Zion was going to change the franchise. It was going to change the perception. They traded Anthony Davis happily. Everyone felt good about it. Like, you couldn't pass on him because the fans, they would have been up and down the French Quarter. They, right? they, would, have been, uh, mm-hmm. they would have been riots. But as the great Bill Polian said to me, if you listen to the fans, you wind up sitting with the fans. So some of us looked at that and said, look at the body on that kid. You tell me he's going to be healthy forever. I would take Morant. And I said it at the time, and so I would have been right. I would have been fired the day after the draft, but I would have done it. So you asked with Zion's body. It's an obvious question, and it's manifested. You mentioned earlier, though, are we sure that John Morant's style of play is going to age well? Can you lead the NBA in paint points at Six foot one? Like, it's, it's not obvious Alan to me Iverson that he's not in he's his prime Iverson. right now. He's Iverson. He's, That's better, who he's he better than Iverson. He's better, he's than, better than, Iverson, than Iverson, but he's got the same stuff. Like, Allen Iverson we could have asked the same question. He played a physical style. He got hit. He got knocked down 100 times and got up 101. Like, that was Iverson at 170 pounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what he weighed, but it wasn't any more than John Morant. And so Morant, may be, yes, I agree with you. He has, a, he has a, an even better all-around game mm-hmm. than the great Allen Iverson. Um, but the, what I mean by that is the toughness. Derrick Rose, same thing. And one time Derrick Rose went up and came down and, and it was all over mm-hmm. like that. So you just pray as a basketball fan that we don't get that with Morant because I love him. Um, and if he's that's so I actually opened it with that, you know, as you heard. Like, is he going to be Iverson or is he going to be D. Rose? Uh If he's Iverson, he's going to be, by leaps and bounds, not only the best player in that draft, but he is going to be an all-time great player. I I don't think you're wrong in the way that they officiate the game today. I do think lends itself to at least the possibility that John Morant could thrive for years and years and years because it's just not as physical as the game was when Allen Iverson played. That kid at that weight driving into the lane the way he does every single night in the 80s? <laughs> Are you kidding me? No shot, right? Uh, can you imagine Bill Lane Beer watching that happen twice? He'd see it happen once. Uh-huh. It wouldn't happen twice. Rick Mahorn wouldn't have it. Dennis Rodman would wrap him up and throw him into the seats. So, no, the game is different now, and you're right. That does give him a better chance. Greeny, the podcast. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more More than than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, 
visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. I am fascinated by something that Hembo told me in the office this morning because I think this could be a great thing for the assembled members of the hashtag crew. Hembo, if we were to project right now what the World Series will be. Right now, we're looking ahead to the end of October. Which two teams do you think will be playing in the World Series? The Yankees and the Mets. I think we're going to get the second Subway Series. If I had to pick the World Series based upon just what we've seen the last month, it would be that. They're the two best teams in baseball. There's no obvious reason to believe that anything that they're doing is illegitimate. The Yankees are crushing everybody right now. The Mets are pitching like crazy, and they don't even have Jacob deGrom. I think the Subway Series is the likeliest outcome if the season ended today. And that would be delightful for us here as hashtag crew members because we got Bubba, who's as big a Met fan as I've ever known, and we've got Nuno, who is a very stereotypical crazy Yankee fan. And and so I'm all in on that. We're going to need some kind of wager. Obviously, on the old show, Mike and I were known for the wagers. We need some kind of wager, Bubba, between you and Nuno if indeed that does come to pass, or should we even make one now? Should well, we make some kind of wager on which team winds up going farther this I like year? That. I like that. What do you think, Nuno uh, and Bubba? Well, I mean, I'm generally fine with it. Remember, I wanted to bet on the Cowboys-Giants. It was Nuno who was too scared to bet. Well, even when we did a spread, he wouldn't want to do it because he, he's always scared to bet on his team. So I'm ready to go. I got faith in the boys. I got faith in Steve Cohen and the, and the boys here. So I'm ready to bet. I was at the Subway Series back in the day. I'm ready to go again this year. So let's go. Nuno probably won't want to bet, though. So it's up to him. Nuno, would you be comfortable? And we can figure out the terms of the wager later. But again, the wager, the, the terms of the wager would be who goes farther. So if one team makes the playoffs, the other doesn't. You don't need me to explain what farther means. But, but if they do wind up meeting in the World Series, that doesn't end it. The winner of the World Series winds up deciding it. Now, it, we... we, we Let's say they both get knocked out in the same round. Let's just say for the sake of argument, they both get knocked out in the LCS. Mm-hmm. Would we do it by how many games that took, or would we just call that a draw? Or we would do like regular season wins as a tiebreaker or something. Maybe something the, like yeah, that. We'd like have to figure out mm-hmm. how to do that. But, Nuno, I just, I'm just asking the general question. Are you comfortable with us trying to sort of scheme up a wager here? Let's do it, baby. So you're I'm that d- confident. Wow. You're that I'm confident. I am down. This team has me feeling a certain type of way. Oh, they win a couple of games uh, and now a you're in. A couple of games, yes. <laughs> they go to Canada. They're smacking around the Blue Jays. Let's go, baby. They're killing people. The Yankees are unbelievable. I don't know why anyone throws Aaron Judge a fastball. That guy is, when he is firing... He is one of the most gifted hitters that ever lived. Every single night, he's hitting a ball into the second deck off, off of a fastball. He is so locked in right now. Good enough I'm to carry a line. My goodness. There was, yeah. the, there was that really nice moment last night, by the way, where the fan gives the kid and the judge T-shirt, the ball and everything, and the kid is crying. I love that stuff. That said, that's not the, 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 the green light that I wanted to talk to you about. So I got this note from Nuno. And there's a whole story about how, as Major League Baseball is assessing their umpires, they do not use the K-zone. And I thought to myself, that may not be something that all fans know. That, you know, that box that you see on TV around home plate when we were watching a baseball game, which is called the K-zone, we all interpret that to be the Bible, like the the be-all, end-all of whether a pitch was a strike or it was not. I don't know that most people know that when Major League Baseball evaluates their own umpires, they do not use that as the criteria. Do I have that right? You have that exactly right. So I guess my question is, why do we have that 
if it isn't used by Major League Baseball to evaluate their umpires. Why do we have it? I don't know. I guess the TV people like it and all the networks do it. But I'd much prefer if we did not have the K-Zone because what you're doing is you're, you're objectifying something that is subjective. And I fundamentally just hate that. I hate that. I hate that. Wait, what does that mean? You, what, what do you mean you are... What, in what way are you making... In what way is this subjective? The strike zone is subjective. No, it is Every not. umpire has a slightly different strike zone. A strike zone is not subjective. It most definitely the, is. In the rule book, it says what a strike is. A strike is, it, it either goes, let, let's, let's take high and low out of the equation. A strike is not one inch off the plate tonight and three inches off the plate tomorrow night. A strike is either over the plate or it's not. That's in the rule book. There's nothing subjective about that. Well, that's not true, and it has never been true. Uh, uh, it, calling balls and strikes has always been, since 1871, more art than science. The K-Zone tries to objectify some. Every umpire has a slightly different strike That's zone. That's ridiculous. Has, why is that ridiculous? It, I understand it, that it is the case, but you have to recognize that to a person, if they just landed on this planet mm-hmm. from someplace else yeah. and had never heard of baseball before and you explained that to them, mm-hmm. how ridiculous that would sound, Right. Uh, of course, but that's baseball. Like baseball, <laughs> that's part of the that's charm. That's baseball. It's part of the charm. It's part of the artistry, the nuance. It's it's it's. And honestly, I I kind of like the idea of creating or making umpires our villains. It's good for the game. It's the the interplay is good. The the tussle between the pitcher and the catcher and the manager. Like if we decide to go with this automatic strike zone thing down the road, like, we eliminate so much of the human element. It's it's and in baseball that is that is more a feature than a bug. I like the human element. It's part of baseball's beauty. You know, I've always hated the human element just in general, not just related to sports. Humans, as a rule, not my favorite species. But um, I can't decide if you're right. There's a part of me that thinks there's a, I'm torn between thinking you're right uh-huh. and thinking that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard a person say in my entire life. And I can't decide which of those two I lean on. We'll have to figure it out as we continue. In the meantime, we have Who You Got coming up in our next hour. Maybe we'll figure out the terms of a wager between the members of the hashtag crew. It's going to be fun. Stay there. ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.